Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. But what they would say is, I'd like to challenge that. Yeah. Yeah. And that sort of took the edge off of it. And I saw it in front of my own eyes, how liberating that was and how much more opinions that you got from other people. What you're going to do is you're going to just copy what other people have done. That's right. And, and therefore, how are you going to differentiate yourself? If our skepticism leads us to a point of nihilism where we just, there's no point to anything and nothing matters, that's too far. Skepticism should be a tool for us. All right, Colin. So there's a phrase that gets used all the time in business that I wanted us to kick around today and, and talk about why we use it and what it means. So the phrase is best practice. Oh, I thought you was going to say too many cooks spoil the broth or I mean, a stitch in time saves nine or something like that. I mean, both of those are good. And, and if, <laughs> if we want to talk about phrases that were popular when, when Benjamin Franklin was <laughs> publishing the Farmer's Arm Almanac, those would be two good ones to talk about. Okay. But sorry, I, I interrupted you then. So run it past me again. We're talking well, your, about your best practice is to interrupt me as often <laughs> as you can. And and honestly, nobody could fault you for that. This is something that I hear a lot when I teach, especially when I teach executives or, or people who are, are already in business as opposed to like yeah. MBA students. When I do consulting or keynote speaking, the phrase comes up a lot. I'll get a, a speaking engagement where they'll, they'll want to hear about best practices and yes. whatever kind of area we're talking about. Constantly, people ask us, yeah. well, what's best practice? <laughs> and I go, well, hold on, let me think about that. Because best practice is like your opinion, basically. Yeah. It's not like the English dictionary where you can go to and go, here's the official best practice. Exactly. It's not like Benjamin Franklin is publishing in the Farmer's Almanac, this is the best practice to use, and here's how we've defined it. Well, first, let's start, I guess, with why people want the best practice and, and kind of what's good about it. And obviously, if we can identify what the, the best practices are in the industry, then that, that'll save us a lot of trial and error time, right? So if we can just do what has already been established to be the appropriate thing to do, then we can kind of jump straight to what's good and we don't need to kind of mess around and fiddle around with all the mistakes that everybody else has been making to get there. It's understandable why we would want to know what the best practice is so we could emulate it. I'm hoping we can pour a big cup of cold water though on the idea of, of best practices for a few reasons, for a few reasons. The first is that the one that you already just mentioned, which is that there's no governing body of best practices in almost every industry. Except when I say it. Except for Colin. Colin <laughs> publishes the big book, Oh, Best Practices, every year. Pick yours up today. 
generally, I mean, it is kind of a rhetorical device. When people say this is best practice, essentially what they're doing, it's it's a, a logical fallacy known as an, an appeal to authority. Essentially what they're doing is saying, don't question me. <laughs> like, yeah. This is the best thing to do. And if you have a different opinion, well, then your opinion is not the best thing. So hush up and listen to me. I'm an expert. I don't think everybody who uses that is intending to kind of shut down debate, but you are bringing this phantom authority to your side of the argument, right? Let me take a counterpoint for a moment because I just thought of something interesting. So I don't know if you've ever read Malcolm Gladwell, Outliers. Yes. Okay. And one of the things that he talks about in that book is that for you to be an expert in quotes, you have to have spent 10,000 hours on the subject. Yeah? Yes. I'm agreeing that he said that, not that it's correct. (laughs) Yes, go ahead. Okay. Well, according to best practice. There we go. I guess the point I'm trying to make is that when people ask my opinion of what is best practice – I guess what they're saying is, you've had 20 years experience of this, you've seen good things, you've seen bad things, you've seen companies that have got results, you've seen companies that haven't got results, and therefore your opinion of what the best thing to do is valuable to me. Maybe they're just putting it in the phrase of best practice. But I guess that's part of what they're saying, isn't it? That's a really fair counterpoint because there is a role for expertise. As you say, somebody who's been around for a long time or who's done this before, they're more likely to know things that that maybe we don't. And and so I don't want to toss that aside. I don't want to say that experts don't know anything or there's nothing that anyone can know. That's not what I'm I'm hoping that people take away from this. So that, that's a very important counterpoint. Sure. One thing that we've talked about before, though, is... If we take a scientific perspective on this, a scientific viewpoint, experts are really good at coming up with with hypotheses in an efficient way that still need to be tested in any particular instance. So, So there is a role for expertise and experts can be very useful. But I would say experts, including yourself, when when a company wants to hire you to improve their customer experience or to make things more efficient for them, you're going to be really good at saying, here's some things that are likely to work. But one thing that I know, which is a practice of yours, is that we then need to go and test it, right? And make sure that it works in this setting. And so we can make refinements. That is a really important counterpoint, actually. And I'm glad that you you brought it up. My concern with the use of the phrase best practice is that it is sometimes intended to shut down that debate. So it's not a hypothesis that should be tested, but it is an answer that we all already know about. And this is what has to happen because it's the best practice. This is an interesting debate because if I think of other people in my field who are classed as experts as well, okay, There are things that we would absolutely agree upon Mm -hmm. that you need to do, but there are other approaches they would take. So 
the way that I may answer what's best practice, I may say, blah, 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 blah. They, which is what I normally say, and <laughs> our clients, you can imagine, get quite upset. Um, <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make is they would have a slightly different opinion. Maybe 75% of it would be common. So, for instance, saying that you need to have a customer-centric culture, that you need to measure the experience that you're providing. Everyone's going to be sitting here and everyone's going to be going, yeah, I totally agree with that. If, you, if you've got a group of the, uh, customer experience experts around, how that was implemented and the best practice behind that may be different. So that goes back to the idea that there's no central governing body yes. that determines what a best practice is. In most industries, there may be some actually for a few industries, but in most industries, no. And we can see this by running the thought experiment that you just proposed, which is what happens if you take 10 experts from your field, whatever that field is, what's the likelihood that they're going to converge on the same one set of advice? Or is it likely, as in most fields, that those 10 experts will come up with 14 different opinions between them? I think you're right. I think that they would come up with a series of things that are similar. Yeah, to your point, some would converge for sure, kind of the wisdom of the field. And then there would also be a lot that don't. In England, when we were having the debate about Brexit, yes, one of the things that one of the leading politicians in the UK said was that effectively experts are dead. Yeah. That in this sort of post-truth era, that people don't listen to experts anymore. We're like experted out. So where does that sort of fit in there? Because it certainly, if I look back to sort of 2016 and the last few years and the whole debate around science, yeah, here's a fact. You can't argue with this. This is a fact, but people still argue with it. Yeah, now we've got alternative facts and truthiness. And the way I think of this is as two ends of the spectrum. So on the one hand, we've got best practices, and there are other things that would go in that bucket. But it's, it's essentially the idea that we know, like we know what should be done in this situation. That's the best practice of the industry. And that is what we should do. What I'm starting to try to encourage, and I think what you would as well, is that maybe we should be a little skeptical of some of those things, some, some of those practices. So that's too far in one direction. But then if we are just too skeptical all the time of everything, then we get to the other end of this spectrum, which is what you're talking about, where we can't believe anyone at any time or even agree on a set of facts that are similar across everything because we're just skeptical towards everything. So I'm, I guess what I'm hoping to encourage at the end of this, this podcast episode is for people to avoid either ends of the that spectrum. If our skepticism leads us to a point of nihilism where we just, there's no point to anything and nothing matters. That's too far. I wonder, why don't we dial that back a little bit? Let's pull back. Skepticism should be a tool for us. It should improve the way we do things. If it leads us into a corner where we just can't get out and can't believe anything, then we've gone too far. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that because I absolutely agree that we should challenge thinking. Okay, yes. and let me let me tell you this story whilst that that comes into my mind. One of the first clients that I ever worked for as a consultant was a water utility in the UK. This is back in two thousand and two, 
in business, and I've spent most of my life in corporate life, we all know that sometimes it's difficult to come up with a different opinion to the boss. Yes. But that is exceptionally healthy because a phrase we use a lot of beyond philosophy is none of us are as clever as all of us. So I don't think I'm the font of all knowledge. If you've got 10 people in a room, that combined group of intelligence is far more intelligent than I am. The long and short of it is that this utility had a culture and they had a really good phrase, which I really like and, and, and I've used ever since then. And that is they encourage people to challenge things. Yeah. So they didn't turn around to them and say, you're wrong. Or if there was a debate that they were having or debate with their boss they were having, they you know, were saying, well, I disagree with that because that's a bit harsh. It gets people's defenses up where they would it, now absolutely. want to fight with you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But what they would say is, I'd like to challenge that. Yeah. Yeah. And that sort of took the edge off of it. And I saw it in front of my own eyes, how liberating that was and how much more opinions that you got from other people. Where does that fit into this conversation? Well, it is being sceptical. It's not just turning around and saying that this person is the font of all knowledge. Yes, you may want to turn around and go, this person is an expert that's been in in the field for 20 years, etc. doesn't mean to say that you have to agree with everything that that person says, just because they say it's best practice. I think it's a great example. And it it goes right to the heart of where we want to end up with this, where we're not blindly accepting anything, but we are also not just kind of devolving it. Because you could see the other side of that, you know, if it goes too far, which is automatically rejecting. And I know that you've been in situations like this before, too, as a consultant, where anything you say the response is skepticism where it's like, nah, we tried that before. Nah, that wouldn't work here. Nah. Those are the two ends of the spectrum, right? Where we just, you may have had clients before who just blindly and adoringly take every word you say as gospel. And I would guess that that would also make you a little uncomfortable. I wish, mate. Yeah. I wish. I'm I'm, I'm (laughs) sure that this is your typical experience, Colin. That's certainly not the case. (laughs) And the thing I most enjoy actually is debating things with the client because then what you're doing is you're effectively educating them. You can see the lights coming on. The danger is that, two dangers really, the first danger is that everyone thinks that customer experience is really easy and you don't have to think about it much and it's obvious what the answer is. And therefore the, the danger is, is they just go off and do things. But what I've learned over the years is that people just don't know what they don't know. And therefore, you've got to sort of through that challenging and debate and through them questioning why you're suggesting this and everything else, that's that's really healthy. And that gets their brains moving and seeing why you're saying what you're what you're saying. Let Beyond Philosophy help you discover what your customers really want, not what they say they want, by uncovering the hidden drivers of value in your customer experience to create real ROI. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. And also the nature of the questions that they ask kind of help you understand kind of the nuances of whatever industry they're and, and their perspective and their challenges as a company too. So this idea that all of us are, are smarter than some of us, that's true in teaching. You know, when I teach, if I've got a room full of very bright MBA students, they know a lot collectively. 
And so I bring my expertise and experience, but then we we debate these ideas and we push these ideas around and and we all become smarter as a result. And I think the same is true, you know, when you have an expert leading a discussion in any field where collectively, you know, we're still smarter than the expert is alone. Let me give you another take on this as well, because I think this is an interesting angle. In a few podcasts time, we have Joe Pine coming on the on the show. Um, Joe Pine, for those of you that don't know Joe, uh, he wrote a great book with a guy called Jim Gilmore called The Experience Economy. And that was really the seminal book that led everything to do with customer experience from then onwards. I, I actually read the book back, back in when it was launched back in 1998, when I was still at Corporate Life. But why am I telling you this? I was doing a webinar with him uh, a couple of weeks ago. One of the things that clients have said to me many times has been, who else is doing this then? The way that Joe, because Joe was asked that question on the webinar, and the way Joe answered, I thought was brilliant. He said, here's the problem. Innovation means that there's not many people doing it. Yeah. And best practice is in that, and he didn't say this, but for me that this is the extension of that, is if you're after best practice, what you're going to do is you're going to just copy what other people have done. That's right. And and therefore, how are you going to differentiate yourself? So for me, it's important that you understand what works, yeah, and, you know, what other organizations have done, because undoubtedly there is learning there. It doesn't mean to say that you have to then go away and do that in a rote manner, because you're going to miss out on some stuff. And so this is, I think, the second big problem with best practice as a philosophy. And it's exactly that. It's convergent thinking, right? It's we're not going to look for new opportunities, new, better ways of doing things. We're going to just converge on whatever everybody else is doing or what we perceive everyone else to be doing. And you're right, like there's no advantage to that in the long run, right? So you should absolutely learn from what other people are doing. But ultimately, you you need to forge ahead on your own to try to, to get the advantages that you can in the, in the marketplace. So, yeah, I, I agree completely. Yeah. Therefore, for me, if someone says to me, what's best practice, I could reel off a load of things, uh-huh. which I think are best practice. And I would absolutely defend those things as I do think they're best practice because I've seen them work in organizations and things not work in organizations. So therefore, these are the things that I would recommend. But I think it takes us back to the top, which is going, but there's no one that's actually officially saying and blessing these things that there are best practice at all. So again, my advice would be, don't just reject best practices as they're given to you or as you find them, they can be very educational. My big advice would be to leaven them with a a dash of skepticism and to treat them more as hypotheses, right? So if somebody tells you this is the best practice and, and you should do this, say, well, let's try something like that and let's see, let's see if it does create some improvements and let's test it and and make sure. And then also, can we use this as a starting point for developing further hypotheses? Well, what if we did even more of this or or what if we tailor this to what we know about our customers to get something better? I think that's touching on our, typically our last part of this podcast, which is, so what would you recommend? 
Just before I deliver mine, let me just outline a couple of things which I think may be useful for people. One is that we've we've looked at best practice and we've changed the <laughs> podcast show notes. <laughs> you undermine me at every opportunity. <laughs> no, we've changed our podcast show notes. So I would encourage you to check out the new show notes. We're putting some interesting links in there. So each of the podcasts we do, we're going to put some interesting links and also and this was Ryan's idea, tie it back to other podcasts that we've done that, where we refer to them in some way or we think are relevant to that conversation. So check out the podcast show notes. Second thing I would ask you to do is within the podcast show notes, you'll see that there is a survey that we're doing. And Ryan and I would really like to get your feedback on how we're doing. So please click on the survey. It will only take literally three or four minutes. I think we timed it out. And there's a chance of winning a $100 Amazon voucher. So please click on that and give us your feedback. Tell us how we're doing. So Ryan, let's just finalize by talking about what does this mean people should do? Yeah. Let me start off by saying, I think the key thing for people to do is, it's interesting to find out what other people perceive as best practice. So I wouldn't necessarily stop asking the question, because intellectually, you know that it's not there. But I would also be saying, hold on, who is providing me this information? What's the basis of them providing me this information? Does this all of these things apply to me in my situation? And in my view, 70, 80% of it probably will. Mm -hmm. But classically, the 20% of it won't. And you've then got to work out how best to do it. In fact, my son works for a company in the, um, in the UK, and in, he's actually working in Los Angeles now, called BBH, who are a big advertising agency. And they've got this great tagline, which is the symbol of the company for BBH is a black sheep. Their tagline is, and I'm probably getting this wrong, but it's when others zig, we zag. Right. And therefore, if everybody's implementing best practice, don't implement best practice (laughs) (laughs) because you're just going to be the same as everybody else. So it's important you understand what it is. Yes. But you've got to differentiate yourself as well, would be my advice. Anything from you, Ryan? Anything else? That's great advice. And I think it's a a nice summary of what we we talked about. I, I guess I'll give one small bit of advice is using skepticism as a tool. We talked about how skepticism is is best used in moderation and applied appropriately. Skepticism is, is a good thing. It, it makes you a scientist. The scientists are skeptical and that's how they learn by questioning received wisdom. The problem that I've seen with skepticism applied in business and in life is it seems like people tend to treat skepticism as if they have a limited source of it. And then they just burn through their skepticism and they're done being skeptical. So at one extreme, you can think about like conspiracy theories, which is where people become skeptical of whatever the mainstream explanation of something is. And then they kind of go off in another direction. And what inevitably happens is they, they then find new sources of information for which they are not skeptical at all, right? So 
I think we've even talked about it in a previous podcast, but I, I watched a documentary about flat earthers, people who believe that yeah, they're yeah. Exact flat. Yeah, that was a classic, yeah. And they they reject, they're skeptical of all the mainstream explanations about the shape of the earth and how it works and all that evidence. They're extremely skeptical of. <clears throat> Excuse me. I get a little emotional when I talk about a, a spherical earth. <laughs> I'm very emotionally tied to the globe, so uh, <laughs> I apologize for that. And you- you know what it is? It is the Earth is flat. Uh-huh. It's just everybody's using a fisheye lens. That's that, that maybe it. So that would be another explanation. <laughs> the people who believe this, they're extremely skeptical, up until the point where they've rejected everything they want to reject, and then they're not skeptical at all towards yeah. the people who are arguing the thing that they want to believe. And I think that this is how most of them. You know, I'm not condemning this group of people. Instead, I'm pointing out that this is a very human thing where we were skeptical towards some things. And then like, so we might be skeptical towards best practice and that's great. But then what we often do is we find some thought leader or guru or expert who's arguing something else. And then we just latch onto that person with no skepticism at all. So my big advice would be to question best practices and to question experts but to do it towards the aim of better understanding what's going on. Don't reject and then replace it with wholehearted belief in something else, right? That you, you found some new book that tells you that everything else that you've learned was wrong, and now you just believe them without any further skepticism. So skepticism in moderation and leavened across everything, and you'll be good. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. So thanks very much for everyone joining us this week. Don't forget to check out the show notes, have a click around. If you've got any suggestions, then please also take the survey you'll see in there. That will help us improve things for this year. Great. Thanks so much, everybody. And uh, talk to you all next week. Cheers. This has been the Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.